0: Hear the word of the Lord. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Jonah. If you're visiting, I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, this is an exciting day. Uh, first, there's only one verse we're talking about, so you might get to lunch on time. Wait a Congratulations. Uh, also, uh, we're continuing our series on who we are as a church, our core values, where we're we moving forward. And uh, after, right now, there's a class going on on adoption and foster care training and then that's a good thing. And then after this, we talked about it last week and there's a bulletin insert. Uh, we are uh, having a meeting about our uh, summer academy in partnership with Seed to Oaks. And Seed to Oaks was kind of birthed out of our church by Pastor Nathan Ivey. Nathan, Nathan go ahead, stand up one time. Stand up one time. Nathan Ivey. If, if there's ever been something that we're doing in this neighborhood or ways that we're trying to live into opportunities that God has given us in this church to serve Uh, people around here, there's a really good chance Nathan Ivey's behind that. So we're grateful for you, man. And uh, Nathan and his team uh, are partnering with Campbellsville University to run the Summer Academy to help five- and (laughs) six-year-olds. Campbellsville! All right! Fighting Hornets! Badgers! I don't know what they are. The Torches! The Tigers! Yeah. Uh, To help uh, five- and six-year-olds get ready to go to school. And so there's info about that in your bulletin. Uh, There's a team of folks from Seed to Oaks that are sitting at the table out in the lobby. You can talk to them about it. And we're also having an info meeting at 1 p.m. I encourage you uh, to find out what you need to find out about it, come to this meeting. We're, We're hoping for 15 five year olds, 15 six year olds, and half of those being from our church and half of those being from the neighborhood. And uh, we, we kind of need to get on it because part of this program is every kid who goes through it is going to be assessed uh, by One of Nathan's team members who does this kind of stuff for a living works on curriculum with Campbellsville based on national standards, so that we can help parents know what are your kids' strengths, where do they need to grow, and how can we kind of tailor some of this program and some of your parenting over the next year based on where your kid is, how they best learn. And uh, we're really excited about this opportunity. So uh, our church here and then our Midtown church over in Louisville, we're piloting this. So it's kind of, we'll see what happens. so yeah, 1 o'clock, come back. It'll be right out there in the lobby. There may or may not be pizza. So if you're sticking around just for pizza, like leave a donation for Seed Oaks or something like that. So lots of other good stuff going on in the bulletin. Check that out. Uh, now, I want you to turn your imaginations on for a second, okay? Maybe play a little bit, little bit of a game here. Uh, I want you to imagine that, uh, you know, we're running a church raffle. Maybe you've been to a church that does a raffle before. This is a special raffle, though, because we're not raffling off... Uh, you know, like somebody's piece of artwork or a night at an Airbnb or a fancy restaurant. Uh, This is a a much more exclusive raffle. Uh, The winner of this raffle is guaranteed, kind of like Isaiah. Uh, He's guaranteed an audience with God, in the presence of God, the throne room of God. Uh, So you'll get to see him on his throne and the cherubim and the fire and all that stuff. And it's not just the audience you get, not just being in his presence, but you get a guarantee that, you can ask for one thing, any one thing, and God will grant it to you. It, it just does not, it does not matter what you want, anything you want. God will give it to you. So as you're thinking about, well, how much would I pay for that raffle ticket? Uh, think about what is that, that one thing you would ask for. And I would encourage you, have a little bit of courage, at least with yourself, and be honest. You don't have to say it out loud, You keep it in your head. Uh, don't take some time to think about it, but we think if I could have one thing, what immediately rises up? Like what is the just gut level? This is this is the thing that I want. Uh, you know, maybe you want a different house, maybe you want a different job, maybe you wish you had kids, maybe you wish you had a different body, maybe you wish you had a Lamborghini. Like I don't what is the one thing? What is the thing that maybe at nights you're sitting around and you find yourself daydreaming saying, if only I could, if only I had, what would you ask for? It's the one thing that you would ask for. So David here, in in this one verse of Psalm 27, has a bizarre, and I think if we're honest, very uncomfortable answer to this. What's the thing that David says? The one thing. If I could win that church raffle and get in the presence of God, the one thing that I'm seeking, the one thing that I'm after is to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. <laughs> what? Right? Like, that's a little bit weird, right? Come on. I'm going make nobody uncomfortable. <laughs> no, not surprising. One thing in the whole universe. I just want to see how beautiful you are, God. So, beauty, the big concept, capital B, beauty, is, it's one of the foundational themes of the entire Bible. Uh, but it, doesn't get much airtime and it's got a ton of baggage, especially in the modern church, not the historic church. We'll talk about that in a minute, but at least in our church in this modern day, it's often associated with temptation when we think beauty, there's almost always this kind of sexual component to it, or this physical attractiveness component. Maybe for you, it kind of feels like vanity. Like, well, it's all going to burn anyway. Like, you don't have to raise your hand. But like, anybody grew up in a church that said that pretty regularly? You're like, this is all going to burn. Or the bumper sticker. Maybe you had this, don't let the car fool you. My treasure's in heaven, right? Like, all of this stuff is going is to burn. And so to think about beauty feels like vanity. Maybe it feels like materialism. Uh... It just seems to me like when we think of beauty, we either think about physical attractiveness and like relationships, is she beautiful, is he beautiful, or we think of stuff like an HGTV house. You know, we close our eyes and try to imagine beauty, and we think about an open floor plan with granite countertops and whatever it is for you. So maybe the simplest way to put it, I think for most of us, beauty is is a worldly word and a superficial word. We're not into those kinds of things. We're deep people, right? So why why in the world, if that's the case, or if that's the baggage most of us are carrying, why in the world would we say as a church, well, it's one of the three defining characteristics of our church. This is one of the the three values that will shape and direct everything we do. And maybe even more uh, profoundly, why would David say, of all of the things I could ask for, of all of the things I'm seeking the one thing I want is beauty. Three questions I want to answer this morning. First, what is beauty? Second, why is it so important to us? And then third, how do we get it? So, what is beauty? Now, this word here in verse 4, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, this word is all over the Bible. And it's, it's a huge word. Uh, now, if you go home and... Or maybe you brought a Bible with you and in the back, some Bibles have a concordance. And that's where you can look up a word and it'll tell you all the other places in the Bible that word shows up. You may not find a lot of entries around the word beauty, uh, but that's because it's a huge word. It's a summary word. And so the, the word we translate as beauty is all over the Bible. And sometimes you'll see it translated uh, with words like kindness. Uh, you'll see it translated as um, to be lovely or to be pleasant or to bring pleasure or to be delightful or to be perfect it even means things like to show favor uh, it's a summary word it's it's a huge word uh, you can almost you know beauty is the kind of word that you can talk about for for hours without really landing on a real simple and clear definition uh, does anybody know what the closest synonym to this Hebrew word we translate beauty? Anyone know what the closest synonym in the Old Testament is? It's the word we translate glory. Glory is this, it's another one of these summary attributes. The closest synonym to beauty is the word glory. And you know, we all kind of know what glory is, or we have a sense of it. It's very, very difficult to define it. And if you want to go to the theology books... They're just not very helpful, because you find things like the manifest goodness and excellence of the Lord transmuted into the world of uh, and I don't even know. you know like it's just these huge, ambiguous, abstract concepts. It's, so glory and beauty are real, real similar in the sense that they, they're huge words. They, they carry a lot of meaning, and for most of us, it's very hard to define it, but we know it when we see it. We have this internal. Itch or something clicks and it's like, yeah, that, that's kind of it. Um, so I want to try to make it a little more concrete. Uh, I, I want you to see this is a huge word and it's one of the most deeply biblical words and it carries a whole bunch of meaning. I want us to learn to recognize a little bit what makes something beautiful or, or where is beauty. And so there's, uh, I think, kind of three core attributes uh, of a person, a thing, or experience for it to be beautiful. Uh, The first word is excellence. Um, Integrity, I thought about saying that word, and and so here's what I mean. For something to be excellent, it's when it functions according to its design. So a bird is excellent when a a bird birds the way God made birds to bird. You know what I mean? Like when a bird functions the way a bird is meant to function, that is an excellent bird. If we try to hold the, the qualities of a bird to the attributes of a lion, then that won't make any sense. So to be excellent means the execution is in line with the intent. Uh, The the function is in line with the design. So that's what makes something excellent here. Um, Here's another example. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, a bunch of pastors from Sojourn Network were here in Louisville, and Sojourn Network is this organization that our church started to start churches all across the country, and they're, they're doing really cool stuff, and we get together a few times a year, a bunch of old friends that we don't see each other very much, and one of these guys called me, and he asked me if I wanted to go out to dinner, and he said he wanted steaks, and I was like, all right, you know, if I have to, man, take care of you out of town, so we did. We got steaks, and behold, it was good. Uh, for me, I tend to play it safe at steakhouses, and I'm a little bit pretentious, so I order a filet, right? A filet mignon. It's just there it is, and it's going to be good. This guy, he's a little more of a man than me, ordered a ribeye, and it was like a 120 ounce ribeye, you know, like some gigantic hunk of meat. And that wasn't the weird part, but he, he saw this little menu item that said bone marrow butter, $2, and he ordered a steak with bone marrow butter on it. Um, I knew bone marrow was a thing, I know it exists, and I've eaten bone marrow before, but bone marrow butter, I had no idea that this thing, I didn't know it was a thing. And so he, he comes and he, he takes a bite of this bone marrow butter covered ribeye and he, his eyes rolled back in his head and he passed out. He just, it was like a Benny Hinn service, you know, he just, he went down. And so while he's out, I steal a bite and I went down, right? Like, <laughs> And I don't, I'm telling you, like, I don't know how to describe it other than to say it was incredible. Uh, Later that night, we were with some other less mature pastors who made poor food decisions, and they're talking about whatever nonsense they ate. Like, what did you guys have? And we start fumbling, trying to describe how amazing this steak was. It was like we had tasted steak the first time. You ever eaten a food like that? Like some of you all get steak some places, and I'm not gonna call them out, I already said I'm pretentious, but you all go somewhere to get a steak, and then you go to a real place that does steak, and you eat it, and you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, you taste, tasting the steak, it was like I had been eating a lie this whole time, and I finally tasted it, and it was, it was amazing. And so we're trying to describe it to our friends, and eventually we throw our hands up and say, it was just it was a beautiful steak, right? It, this is what steak is supposed to taste like. That's, that's excellence. You know, it's like you're tasting it for the first time, or this is the definitive experience of this. So something is beautiful when it's consistent with its design. The intent lines up with the execution. So to be beautiful, it has to be excellent. Second, it has to be attractive. And if your immediate thought is thinking of physical beauty or models or something like just... Put that to the side for a second. And so here's what I mean. And say amen if you're thinking about steak right now. <laughs> amen, right? Here's what something beautiful does. Y'all learned the whole point of this list right here. We could skip it. When something is beautiful, it draws you in. Uh, when something is beautiful, you look at it and you say, I want that, or I want to participate in that, or I, I want to share in that. Uh, when something is beautiful... It's excellent, and when it's excellent, it draws you in. Have you ever noticed that it's really hard to be in a hurry at an art gallery? Because right? you're walking, and you see a picture, and then something hits you, and you've got to stop. You ever notice how maybe you've been to Europe and seen the beautiful old cathedrals, or you've been out on the East Coast, and you see these 200-year-old marvels of architecture, and you go in, and you get quiet. You start looking at corners in the walls or you start looking at windows and most of our buildings, we just go right by that stuff. See, beauty has this ability to slow us down and draw us in. That's what beauty does. It, it attracts us in the sense that there's something deep inside of us that's almost nameless. We can't quite put words on it. There's something deep inside of us that sees it and says, I want that. We, we feel our souls tugged towards it. So something is beautiful when it's excellent and it draws you in. Beauty, excellence, and finally, transformation. So I want, I want you to imagine uh, you're going on a vacation. You're going on a vacation to the beach and you've got three kids praying for you. And because you have three kids and you're a Christian, you're probably cheap, right? So it means you're driving, not flying, right? What kind of reasonable Christian would save all this emotional heartache and time by... Flying. Uh And if your family's like my family, packing is like a two to six hour endeavor. And uh, the last 45 minutes involves screaming, where are your shoes? Get on your shoes. Like just getting in the car takes an hour. And then you drive 10 hours or what should be 10 hours. It's like 15 or whatever, because you got to stop to go to the bathroom five to ten times, and someone invariably vomits in the back seat, and then you're at the rest stop cleaning up vomit with McDonald's napkins and screaming, and, like, you get there. The parents know what I'm talking about. The parents are the ones who aren't laughing right now, right? Because y'all you lived it, right? and you don't get that smell out. So anyway, you get... You get down to Florida, and you're on vacation, right? Maybe the only thing worse than packing the car is unpacking the car, because you've got to try to find somewhere to go and all blah, 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 blah. So you have this great idea. It's like, hey, it's vacation. We can still catch the sunset. Everyone's wiped out and exhausted, but you decide, we'll just put off this unpacking, and we'll go catch the sunset. And in a few minutes, you walk out there. You take your shoes off. Your, your toes hit white sand. You see clouds in the sky, and then there are just colors, more colors than, than you have names for or words for, and you feel the breeze, and, and all of a sudden, like, something inside of you moves. Like, somehow you feel refreshed. You have this moment where it's like your soul breathes, you know, and you're just like, Phew. and you feel something lift inside of you. you. You feel small because the ocean is terrifying, right? And you, you see the vastness, and you realize this thing could just wake up and swallow you. you. You feel so small, and at the same time, inside, you feel so big. You, there's, it's scary, but somehow you feel safe, right? Like, you're totally wiped out and exhausted, but, but somewhere inside, you feel refreshed and encouraged and, and filled with hope. You encountered something beautiful, and it transformed you. It, it changed you. If you look through your life and try to find a moment where you felt that, something shift inside of you, uh, or all of a sudden you were filled with courage or hope, even in awful circumstances, or, or you felt somehow like this thing happened and you knew you could go on, I bet you will find something excellent and attractive there. You will find something beautiful there. So what is beauty? Beauty is excellence that draws you in and transforms you. It's excellence that draws you in and transforms you. Uh, So that's interesting. Um, But really, like core value, interesting? Why is this so important? The simplest way I can put it, beauty is a core value of our church because of what beauty does. It's not just like it makes your room pretty or it makes you feel energized after a vacation. Uh, So... Follow this in Psalm 27 here. Remember, the desire is to see God's beauty. The one thing he wants from the church raffle is God's beauty. So pay close attention here. This is verse 4. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So beauty brings about, some, in some mysterious way, a deep sense of contentment. So when you have that first bite of an incredible steak, or you see that sunset, there's something in you that says, I could stay here forever, right? Like, I wish this could just go on and on. Or you have that sweet moment where your kids are playing in the sand, and it's not too hot, and no one's eaten suntan lotion yet, and you're just like, I could do this forever. Beauty has this amazing ability to satisfy us and make us hunger for more. You have that stake, and it's amazing. And in this moment, you're totally content. And then a little while later, you, you want more of it. You want to experience it again. And Now, this can certainly be a trap for us if we don't understand beauty, needing more of it or something greater or farther. But look, David is saying if he could see God's beauty, if, if he could dwell in the house of the Lord forever, this hunger, this longing for beauty is fundamentally pointed towards God, and this is what he says there. He says, "Once I'm there, then I, if only I could gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple." There, there is no distinction in David's mind between beauty and God. Uh, there's be- the beautiful stuff over here, and then there's God over here, or it's, you know, some some. Christians will put it like this idea of there's a sacred world and a secular world. There's the world that belongs to God and then there's the world of stuff that's all gonna burn anyway. See, for David, he's saying, I wanna live with God forever. I wanna see his face forever. I wanna seek him in his temple forever. In his world, the way he understood beauty and the beauty of God uh, is that the longing for beauty, that hunger for more is a longing for God. Beauty satisfies us because it brings us into God's presence and it does so in a way that nothing else can do. You know, the amazing thing about beauty and encountering it is that, and I don't really know how to explain this in, in a way that's crystal clear or doesn't have some mysteriousness to it. Beauty gives voice to the longings in our soul to see the face of God. Um, So you can almost feel David fumbling for words here, right? Like, if I could live with you forever, if I could seek you forever, if I could just look at you forever, right? He's trying to describe this feeling we have, and all of us have, and I don't care what your religious background is, like to be a human being means you have A deep hunger in your soul, a longing for meaning, a longing for transcendence, to see something exists outside of you and matters to you. That's why when you're standing at the ocean watching a sunset, you feel so small and and somehow you also feel incredibly important. Like You feel like this matters. You know, those moments when your, your skin tingles or the goosebumps come or you feel something stirring in you, we're all overwhelmed with this awareness that this really, really matters. And beauty has a way of sneaking in behind all of our defenses, and it gives a voice to that longing. When our words fail us, right? And you're trying to Describe something or explain something or articulate how you feel when we're not sure what's going on. Beauty draws us near the face of God and our souls say, yes, that's it. One pastor uh, describes what this looks like when we, we come into that beauty. He says, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it's well to pay the closest attention. They're not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them. You all know what that means by the, the unexpected tears? You're, you're listening to a song for the hundredth time, and some line comes, and all of a sudden, you're like pulling the car over because you're so choked up, right? Or, or, or something happens, or some memory comes to mind, and all of a sudden, you just feel this something, we're drawing near the face of God. Maybe to put it differently, God's waking us up to see how near he is to us. And, and though we may struggle for words, our souls know what's going on. Beauty is so, is so vitally important because it provides us experiences of God that, listen, nothing else can. You can think about a sunset all day long, and you can Google image search sunset, and you can be in awe and be amazed by that, but it in no way compares to standing on the shore, feeling the sand, tasting the air, seeing the colors. You can pray and journal these wonderful truths of God, and you should. Like, that's not bad, but that, that will never lead you into an experience of God the way being in the presence of God, can be. You can meditate and reflect on the sovereignty of God for years, and then you come into a moment where it's so clear that God has sovereignly taken care of you, and you have that experience, and all of your defenses are down, and He just comes and gets you through something beautiful. You You can plan and dream of your first child, and you can Go on Pinterest and design the room and you can have the amazing registry at Bed, Bath and Beyond, but none of that preparing, none of that thinking compares to when she's born and you hold her in your hands and something happens inside of you. When we encounter beauty, wherever it's found, we are catching glimpses of God. Our senses are awakening to the reality of God's presence and The Bible is trying to show this all over the place. History attests to this. Like the Canaanites, the ancient enemies, neighbors of Israel, do you know what they called the God of the Hebrews? The name they gave him was beauty. They go, their God, his God, his name is beauty, the beautiful one. Psalm 135 says God's name is beauty. Psalm 147 says it's beautiful to praise him. Psalm 50 says the presence of God is the perfection of beauty. What's it like in God's presence? It's the perfection of beauty. Up until very recently, and maybe the last 50 years or so, humans knew that drawing close to beauty was drawing close to God. Somehow beauty enlivened our senses and awakened us to the reality of God's presence. We as a church value beauty because we want to be drawn into the presence of God and be transformed by him. That's why it's so important. I mean, that's why it's a crucial value. Um, So how do we get it? What does this mean practically for us as a church moving forward? Um, Fundamentally, it means to be an image bearer of God To be a children of God, to have your faith in Christ, means you are called to cultivate beauty. Uh, We were going through, we were cleaning some closets out there, and and years ago, Sojourn, we did this kind of all-church campaign called Cultivate Beauty. Anybody remember that, Cultivate Beauty? Yeah. We used to have Cultivate Beauty Month, and we found about a 100 of these little old Cultivate Beauty pins, just little reminders about who we are. And we've got a couple left, limited time offer at the welcome table for free. Go get them to remember who we're supposed to be. Uh, This isn't a new initiative of the church. You guys, like this is historic Christianity. Um, Historically, the the people of God saw themselves as creators of beauty uh, because they knew that beauty helped us experience God in tangible, concrete ways. They had entire systems set up to cultivate beauty. Uh, Maybe you've heard of the patronage system. Here's how it would work. Y'all know there's not much money in painting, right? There's not much money in paint while you're alive, at least. And so wealthy people would say, to be an image bearer of God means we need to make the world beautiful. I can't paint, but I have money. So I will pay these people to paint. And they were patrons of the arts. If you've gone to, if there's a piece of artwork that stirred you that's more than 100 years old, boy, is there a really good chance a Christian either painted that or funded the painting of it. Like, the church had entire systems of leveraging our resources for the sake of making the world more beautiful. Like This is us. We are the beauty cultivators. We use our talent, our time, our money to bring beauty into the world. And everyone has the capacity to do this. Everybody. Uh, so again, think about to be beautiful means it's excellent, it draws us in, and it's transforming. Some of you get real wound up about spreadsheets. And you get real angry about bad spreadsheets and confusing spreadsheets. Like, a spreadsheet can be beautiful. To be a human being means you have the capacity not only to experience and soak in beauty, but to create it. Uh, listen, and there's really small ways we can do this. And this may seem petty. This may, maybe was more applicable in like 2006 or something. Uh, but listen, here's a really simple way that you can cultivate beauty. Pay for the music you listen to. What do you mean? Get off of of Spotify or pay for Spotify. Like if there's there's music that stirs your soul or that means something to you or you encounter the face of God in it, just spend some money on it. Why? Well, because you're empowering whoever that person is to go make something else beautiful. This matters to me. Legally download movies. You know, if someone has created it, you should, it's worth you spending money on it, right? So maybe you're like, I've got no artistic ability. I've got, I've got nothing I can do. Well, can you spend money on people who are making the world more beautiful? Yeah, most of us can. Uh, what about other small ways? You could take care of your yard. Yeah, one guy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> one guy knows what I'm talking about. And, and listen, a lot of you guys, I live real close to here, okay? A lot of you drive by my house, and I'm telling you, my house is not a banner yard, okay? Like, no one has ever pulled into my house and said, that yard is on point, bro. Um, <laughs> like, but our house sat vacant for three or four years before we moved into it, and it was kind of a dandelion mess. And now it just has like six or seven species of grass in it, and we're trying to homogenize. Uh, but, so I'm not saying, like, turn your grass... In, or your, your yard into the Taj Mahal or something, but you can cut it, you can trim it. Uh, to be an image bearer of God, to, to cultivate beauty means you look at the world around you and say, how can I make this place look more like the kingdom of God? And there's not, there's not weeds in the kingdom of God. I hate doing yard work. You, you can ask my wife, I hate it. And the two or three times a year I do it, what, <laughs> what motivates me is to say, I'm gonna go into my yard This is a piece of dirt God has given to me to make look like his kingdom. And so I'm not just going to pull weeds. I'm cultivating beauty. I'm trying to make this place more beautiful. You can take care of your own soul. That's probably the most threatening one. There, There is such a thing as a beautiful person who is a human, the way God has made them particularly to be a human. And so how do you know if you need to take care of your own soul? What's the issue you're avoiding? And if that was enough time for you to know an issue, you can cultivate beauty by dealing with that issue. Like, stop running from it. it may, if your spouse has been saying, honey, I really think counseling would be helpful, and you're like, oh, it's for the week. it's all, oh, it's whatever. Like, maybe that's God's invitation to you. Cultivate beauty by cultivating a beautiful soul. Like, all of us can, can put our hands to something and work to make it more beautiful. And like, we're trying to embody this in our building which, granted, there's only so much we can do, right? Like, e- eventually, we're just going to have to realize this is a 100-year-old elementary school building and we're currently sitting in a gym, right? Like, but think about it. Like, why, would we, why would we build a stage out of 100- to 200-year-old reclaimed barn wood? Is it just because a generous person wanted to donate it and it was like, cheap wood? Or is it because it's, it's beautiful and it, it sounds better? Why, if you go out into the hallway, you all have no idea how much time we spent thinking and, and talking through directional signage, which is a big deal if you're a guest. And if you think that the directional signage is terrible, save it for next week, right? Like, <laughs> why did we make directional signs, handmade, those are old planks of flooring, a couple hundred years old, that somebody sanded down, joined together, refinished, stained, and then we had the lettering put on. Why would we put that much care into signage? Uh, Why is all of the furniture out there, like the desk, the counter where the coffee is, the donation box, all of that is handmade from real natural materials? Why would we do that? Because it's beautiful. Because the people of God cultivate beauty. And this building will never be a, a grand Gothic cathedral. It just won't be. But we can look at what we have and who we are and say, what can we do to make this space and this place more beautiful. Beauty is, and this will make all of us uncomfortable to agree, I hope, like beauty is more important than efficiency or ease. So if we have the option of doing it quickly and inexpensively or doing it beautifully, the people of God choose beauty if we can, you know. It would have been cheaper to do white plastic signage all throughout there, but it wouldn't have been as beautiful. We cultivate beauty to encounter the face of God and help others do the same. Not, not to be some fancy, cool, hip church or something like that, but because beauty sneaks in behind our senses and gives us an experience of the presence of God. So we are people who cultivate beauty. Get your pen after the service. Two. Get curious around beauty. This is one of the best ways. If you're really nervous right now, it sounds like man. It sounds like we're going to worship the gifts instead of the giver, or the creation instead of the creator. Uh, the, we could spend a few weeks talking about this. I mean, the the idea in the scriptures is that we enjoy creation to such a degree that it moves us to enjoy God. Like there is no separation between God and his world in the sense of like, God is this holy, wonderful thing and then it's all gonna burn, right? Like God is present in his creation. And if you go in the beginning of the book, he made this and he says it's, he's good. He made this and says it's, Good. He'd never make something. It's like, ah, that's going to burn anyway, right? Like it matters a great deal to him. Have you ever thought about what does it mean about what God thinks about being a human, that Jesus came at all? Like that he didn't come in as the spirit on a throne and was like, do this people. He's like, no, I will, I will embody humanity. Like humanity is good enough for God. It's an amazing testimony. So whenever those unexpected Tears come, right? Like whenever something catches you and you're like, why am I getting so choked up? Whenever you feel that thing shift in your soul, get very curious there. For some of us, this will mean giving ourselves permission to see beauty in in unexpected places. Last week, we talked about all truth belongs to God, right? All truth is God's truth. The same is absolutely true for beauty. All beauty belongs to God. Uh, A friend of our church, he's out in New York, he tweets it all the time. Um, He says, you know, like, Christian is one of the best nouns and one of the worst adjectives. Uh, And here's what what I mean by that, if you're not good at grammar, right? Some of us grew up in churches or we live in a world where to read it, to listen to it, to spend money on it, it has to have Christian in front of it, right? So I can only listen to Christian music. I only shop at Christian stores. I only go to Christian restaurants. I only read Christian comic books. I only... So that Christian describing the thing—it's an adjective—and um, I'm not saying any of that is bad, or that all Christian music is bad, or all Christian movies are bad. I'm just saying they can't be Christian. Right? Like I got in kind of a petty argument about this the other day. My point is, is like, can music profess Jesus as Lord? Like, can, can music have a participatory relationship with Jesus? Right? Like Jesus isn't saying like, "Oh yes, I'm in." Whatever, like, I know you, acoustic guitar, right? Like, it's a, it's a thing that people make, right? Like, music, the, the lyrics of it, but music, the concept, can't say Jesus is Lord or can't have a relation. It's just, it's something that we create. And, and like, do you think God is not capable of uh, using someone who doesn't know him for his purposes? I mean, there are, you got some uncomfortable verses, at one point, Jesus is like, listen, if you guys won't pray or praise me, I will make rocks praise me, right? God speaks through a donkey to somebody. So like, you tell me that God can talk through a donkey, but he can't talk through a, a historic novel? Like, he can't talk, through, like, all beauty belongs to God. His beauty is not confined to a specific radio station or a specific aisle in the store. It's everywhere. That doesn't mean we just indiscriminately take it all in. We, we do that with wisdom, right, informed by our community. But listen, if, if you're willing to open up and see that this whole earth is God's, and wherever there's something beautiful it belongs to God, you'll see that beauty, wherever it's found, will ultimately lead you to God if you're willing to get curious about it. Why is this so wonderful? Why is this affecting me so much? Some of my oldest friends, we'll we'll go out to a nice dinner a couple of times a year. And you know that moment right when the food comes and you're excited and kind of sad because you know soon it'll be over, but that moment where it's all all right there? Uh, We have this toast. We'll, We'll raise glasses and we'll say, what must God be like? What must God be like that he would give us a meal like this, that he would give us an experience of this? How must God feel about me that he would allow me to experience this? He could have just said, you know, there'll be red, blue, and green. And when you see a sunset, you get one strip of red over the horizon. And we wouldn't have known any different, right? But he's so extravagant in his abundance of of beauty. What must he think about us? What must he think about us? What must he be like? You realize that sunsets happen every night, right? Like the extravagant waste of such beauty. Every night. And God wakes up and he's like, I'm going to do it again tonight. This can be different than last night. Depending on your views of creation, right? Like 12,000 years running or 275 trillion years running. Like whatever it is, he's he's on time, right? Every night he's doing this. Get curious around the things that stir you. Get curious around the unexpected tears. Beauty, wherever it's found, will ultimately lead you to God if you're willing to be curious about it. And then finally, we should be a people who celebrate beauty, wherever it's found. You realize that if, if this is true, and I really think it's true, what I've been saying the last 32 minutes, uh, if this is true, we can encounter God and enjoy Him everywhere. Like, I love what we do on Sundays, and we're all gathered, and it's loud, and there's energy, and it's fun. But like we, sh- we get to be a people who can have little mini worship services all throughout the week. Uh, when we encounter something beautiful, celebration rises up in us because we're seeing our God again. And think about this. Like, as we learn to make these connections, we'll find such deep satisfaction and encouragement because we'll see that God is with us. And this is true even, even in the midst of tragedy and heartache. Like, if, if we're willing to see beauty as evidence of God, you know, like, there's still a beautiful sunrise, even on the worst day of your life. And that doesn't make the tragedy okay. But you can see that and say, God still loves me. God's still with me. He's still here with me. And if, if you're willing to be open to this, to see beauty and the kindness of a stranger at the hospital or, or any number of different ways, like you will see how God doesn't stay away from you in your pain or loss, but he's there and he's with you. Everything will start becoming little worship services. You'll find yourself rejoicing uh, next to God at your child's birthday party. Like, you'll, you'll learn to see that God is shouting and laughing with you while you're watching fireworks last night. Like, if you didn't giggle one time watching Thunder last night, like, something is deeply wrong, right? Like, it's an amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing, and, and God is near us in those moments. If we can start making these connections, recognizing beauty, celebrating it, we'll begin understanding more and more what David was saying. Nothing in the world will satisfy me but you, God. Like, you are the only one worthy of my worship, my efforts, my life. We won't be so fixated on whatever the beautiful thing is, but we'll be hungering and longing for the deep taste of the beauty of God. As we cultivate beauty, get curious about beauty, and ultimately celebrate it, it'll force us to keep coming back to that question. What must God be like? And it, If you're totally lost this morning, and you're like, I have no artistic ability. I have no sense of beauty. This is all very crazy for me. Like, here's where you start. Is this not the question, what must God be like? Is this not the question that the cross of Christ forces us to ask? Like, can you not look at the cross? If you're saying, what, was God, what is God going to do to make something beautiful happen here? What does the beauty of God do? Isaiah said Messiah would come and take our ashes. Anyone ever feel like their life is filled with ashes, brokenness, and it's a mess? Messiah would come and he would trade your ashes for what? Someone say it. Beauty. Beauty. I will take what's broken and ugly and twisted in you and I'll make it beautiful. What does that look like? It's like God turning death and suffering and execution into a beautiful victory for all who believe. Take something that was shameful and humiliating and transforming it into the greatest symbol of hope and victory the, the world has ever known. If God can take the cross of Christ and transform it into beauty, into victory for all who believe, what could he do in our lives? If he can take a body beaten beyond recognition and turn it into a glorious resurrected Christ, radiant, shining like the sun, what could he do in your life? And so we're called to come and taste that the Lord is good, to root ourselves in what he's done for us so that we might be filled with hope as we go and push back the darkness of the world. Jesus calls us to remember uh, on the night he was betrayed that he took a loaf of bread, broke it, and said, this is my body broken for you. He stepped into our ashes. He stepped into our ugliness and our brokenness. After the meal, he took a cup of wine, And he said, this is what seals your relationship with God. It's my blood shed for you. And oh, what comfort this is. Like, what guarantees that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion? It's the fact that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. How do you know you have what it takes to go and make this world a more beautiful place? The body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. How do you know you can come and experience healing? The body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Uh, if you're here this morning and like you're low on faith, low on faith, high on doubt, struggling, you know, look at the body, look at the blood, and just rest in the question, what must God be like that he would do this for me? How, how must God feel about me that he would turn the world upside down to be with me and be filled with hope and counter the beauty of God again? Uh, our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread. You can dip it in wine or juice Wine, will have a piece of twine wrapped around it, and we'll have a gluten-free station to my left, your right, as well as some stations in the back. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, let's participate as you're ready. Let's pray.